Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I'm here with Brett Jones, all the way from the Berg, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Brett, what's going on, man? How's things? All the things. All the things are going on. The Speed Metal product launch with uh, Strong First and uh, just all the craziness. So it's been uh, it's been a little nuts, but uh, but it's good. It's good. Heading into fall, starting to get those pumpkin spice feelings. Wait, wait uh, hold on a second. I got to ask right now, Jones, what, <laughs> as, as the man who has a show reel of you chucking around kettlebells that, you know, weigh the same weight as some teenagers, what are pumpkin, pumpkin spice feelings, Brett? <laughs> Am I, 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 the next time I see you, are you going to show up like in like some Ugg boots and, uh, you know, you're, 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 uh, you're, <laughs> Your Lululemons and your thug boots on and a pumpkin spice latte ready to train or what? What are pumpkin spice feelings, Jones? So that's the that's when the weather starts to turn and you've got the uh, <laughs> the leaves are starting to turn and fall and you've got people with, you know, having the little fires in their backyards at night. So you smell the smell the campfires and and uh, wood pit burning pits and whatnot. And um, and you got a, a warm beverage or cold beverage in your in your hand uh and yeah so that's that's all right so I li- i'm a, i'm a big fan of pumpkin spice feelings <laughs> uh and today's podcast is sponsored by the pumpkin spice latte <laughs> um we are going to have some sponsorships uh and basically what our sponsorships are going to be is us just plugging our friends that's really how it's going to work um, but we don't have any friends that have a pumpkin spice latte company that I am aware of. But anyways, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about the anatomy of a training session and what goes into a training session, not necessarily a training program, but you know, when you're starting off with a, with a, with a client, what does that session look like? And that's what we're going to be talking about because I think most people would agree that there is a certain recipe that people are inclined to follow when it comes to training people. Um, but, you know, I think what we want to really discuss is sort of the in-between, right? Is, is, you know, what is the, what are, what do those transitions look like intra-session and the why behind the decision-making and everything that goes into it? Because um, I'm going to be honest with you, I can look at a program and go, yeah, that's pretty good. Or I can look at a program and go, hmm, I'm not really sure why that person did that. And, um, I, you know, I think a big part of programming is, is looking at what you do constantly and trying to poke holes and trying to find better ways. So we're going to really just be diving into, you know, the, the different components of a, of a, of a training session. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Brett, what's the first thing that we're going to start off with buddy? So we're going to ballpark this into in a few areas and, you know, the, the personal training world really starts to think in terms of hours, right? You've got an hour class, you've got an hour personal training session. And so we, we tend to kind of compartmentalize this into a, a certain time frame. So 
Um, we, we're not going to get real specific with time frame, but uh, the, these are the things that should probably show up, you know, in that hour or in that training session. Uh, one is uh, actually somewhat controversial in the strong first world um, is warm up. Um, I will speak for myself as a 52 year old uh, with um, I simply refer to myself as a high mileage individual. Uh, if I don't have time to warm up, I don't have time to train. Uh, I The days of being able to just hop in and go are long past me. And I um, I, I need time to get the, the body ready. I spend hours on a computer uh, doing work. And then I hop up and I've got literally between 45 minutes to an hour to get a session in and get back to work. So the warm up, I think, is, is really important. And, and, and it's old school. Right. I mean, I, I can I've been doing this long enough to remember that, uh, you know, every personal training certain information you went to, you started with five to 10 minutes of uh, some sort of light cardiovascular activity. Uh, get on the exercise bike, get on the treadmill, get on the elliptical, whatever, and just go for five to 10 minutes. Get your heart rate up, break a little bit of a sweat, raise that core temperature, uh, get the blood flowing. Now. Most of us work in some in somewhat ischemic situations. And what I mean by that is when you sit on your um, duff for hours a day, you're, those areas that you're compressing, you restrict some of the blood flow because of the compression. So you get in kind of an ischemic situation going on in different areas. Returning blood flow to those areas can be really important. And raising core temperature, making sure the tissues are ready for load, like these are things that that are really good. The counter to that is, well, if I'm, uh, let's say I'm an LEO, I'm a law enforcement officer, and I'm sitting in the car um, on patrol for seven hours of a 10-hour shift, and at seven hours into my shift, I have to go from having sat in a car for six hours to sprinting after uh, a suspect. There's no time to warm up. So for those individuals, we need to know that we can train them into a position where they can just pick up and go. For the other 98% of the population, we can approach the warm up as a way to prepare for that training, prepare for load, uh, which I think is, is uh, it's, it's a good idea. Um, so there's, there's two kind of competing thoughts there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I like to use the analogy of the, uh, fry later in the crock pot. And, uh, I think when we're young and, uh, when we don't have, uh, as much, uh, musculoskeletal baggage and, uh, you know, aches and pains and tweaks and twinges, uh, we can get, a, we can get away with a lot more and, and our ability to warm up can simply be, you know, sort of, a. uh, a 20% version of what you're trying to do. For example, like, you know, if you wanted to play basketball when you were 20, you just played basketball for a little bit for about five to 10 minutes. And then you just started increasing the intensity and you played well, um, that works until it doesn't. And then you have to use the crock pot approach, which is, Hey, it's going to take a while to warm up, but once you're warm, you're pretty good. And, and, uh, you know, I think people need to understand that it's not an either, or it's generally a transition. Most people start off and they're young and they can get away with stuff. 
but eventually they become a crock pot where their body needs to move more and, and spend a little bit more time getting their body prepared for what's to come. But the problem is that they still have the mindset that they're, that they're a fry later and they think they can go do the things fast and quickly. And, and therein lies the problem with where people go and do dumb things. So uh, I think we need to understand the importance of it and the importance of like, it's a warm up, and, and that's really what the goal is, is to prepare your body, uh, you know, for, for what's, what's coming up. And I think a lot of people skip that because they think it's a waste of time or what they're doing is a waste of time and they need to learn how to do it a little bit more efficiently and correctly. Definitely. So the combination here, and there's, there's a lot of options, right? So it could be five minutes on a, on a air bike, uh, just to, to crank for, for three to five minutes, raise core temperature, blood flow, uh, get a little sweat going, little foam roller, um, my little foam roller routine, which I like to joke is my generally specific foam roller routine that I think, you know, it's individual to everybody, but everybody happens to need it. So it's generally specific, um, you know, get hit those hot spots, go through your movement prep and your movement prep, um, or ground-based warmup, what, however you want to refer to it. I really don't care. Um, we want to see that we're targeting those areas that we know are important to us. So I know ankles, hips, and T-spine, they're going to be on the list. I finished with some, I've added back in uh, the up dog, down dog, uh, AKA the pump from uh, some of Powell's work. And I end up with some cross crawls on the ground and doing a little bit of hard roll. And that's important for me because of the history I have in my hips and low back. And, and that's, so that's my general warm up. I'd have a little transitional phase now where I'm hitting some things that I need to pay some attention to single leg work um, and uh, windmills and, you know, things, things of that nature, then it's time to work. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, as we sort of get a little bit more granular with the warm up, um, I, I think one of the things people need to understand about the warm up is is again it's it's really about preparing your body about what you're asking it to do later down the road so if you're going to sprint you need to prepare your body to sprint so sprint preparation is different than you know 3 sets of 10 goblet squat preparation right so you have to understand the intent of what you're doing as well because if you're going to go sprint or do some depth jumps some true plyometric based movements there are some sort of strategies that you should probably think about from a tissue adaptation standpoint and, and from a warm up. So, but the big thing is intent. And I think one of the, the assumptions is that the warm up's not that important. And, and I would argue that we all have something to gain for the first 10 minutes of our training session. And it could be more ankle mobility. It could be uh, more hip mobility. It could be all those things that Brett was talking about, just a general prep, or guess what? If you move really well, Cool. That's an opportunity to do a bunch of stability work because maybe you're a hypermobile individual and maybe your warm up does not include drills to improve range of motion. Maybe you are someone that needs to control range of motion. So, you know, the, the work that you're going to be doing is going to be, uh, you know, maybe it's going to be something a little bit more slower or doing some positional stability. Maybe you're doing some get ups and some cross crawls and some carry variations and uh, some overhead walks and some crawls. And maybe that's the, the warm up that you need because it's going to 
provide the stimulus that you need, but it's also going to give the input that your body needs. So, um, you know, I think the other thing we need to consider is specificity because not everybody should have the same warm up. And I think a lot of the times as trainers, everybody does the same thing, or they assume because if it works for some person, it'll automatically work for another. And the prep is really designed based off of the assessment to begin with. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Uh, I caught you there. I caught you there. Yeah, you you, you got me right mid-yawn. Yeah, so, and let's pull back just a little bit uh, because the warm-up is just the first piece of the puzzle. Um, So the typical training session is going to break down into warm-up, some sort of speed or power work, strength work, uh, and then some sort of conditioning or energy system development, and then maybe a cool down. And that that was a funny conversation with one of my students recently. I'm like, "What do you do to finish your workouts?" And he's like, "Um, go drink coffee." I'm like, "Okay, let's let's talk about that for just a minute or two." <laughs> uh, so that's kind of the 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 blocks that we're going to put together in in a session, and the the warm up sets the stage. To your point, if I was going in the gym and I was going when I was powerlifting and I was going to squat, and there is only you, know, you squat heavy because that's what you do. And so, but my warm up was I'd get in there, I would uh, do a couple squats with the bar, I would grab the 40, first 45 to put on, do a couple goblet squats, put it on the bar, go to the other side, grab my 45, do a couple goblet squats, pop it on the bar. Then it was a set at 135, 225, 315, and then wherever my working weights were going to be, you know, at that time. And so it was a ramp up or build up was my warm-up. So there's going to be a little different look at this. Like I, I mentioned that it's warm-up and then speed or power and then strength. Well, if I don't have a speed or power section to fill in there and I'm heavily focusing on my on my strength, powerlifting routine or something like that, um, and I should probably still have had some power work in there, but you know, I was squat obsessed. All I wanted to do was squat. Uh, so my warm-up looked different than it does now. When my training is a little more uh, kettlebell based and a little more, I, I would argue to say a little more strength conditioning based versus power based. But, um, you know, that's so the, to the point of the specificity that you were talking about. And this is where you you see um, and we'll talk speed and power here in just a second. But you see uh, track coaches spend a lot of time on A skips, B skips, uh, definitely things that are meant to prepare the body for the high power output of running and sprinting, jumping, et cetera. So I, there's definitely some different strategies to, to look into there. Yeah. And, and, and sort of one last thing, because now I've got the mind going um, before we move on is, um you know, kind of going back to the prep and, and potentially into the power and the speed stuff. Um, I've got a, a client that I'm working with and um, we're getting ready for um, the um, IPL world championships in England and uh, we're doing deadlift only. It's something that he really wanted to focus on. So, so full time we deadlift, we deadlift uh, three days a week. Um, and every single time that we deadlift, the warm up's the same and the weights are the same um, because what that does is based off of how he's feeling and based on, I can just tell by how everything's moving. Um, we can, if we need to, dial it down a little bit as we get closer, we can, because, you know, we know that every single day, three days a week, he does the same sets and reps with the same uh, recovery time. So his body is really adapted. And we always stop at 315. We is, is our warm up is stopping at 315. 
And then we move on to whatever the program calls for. But, you know, we start off with, you know, we go 135 for like eight and then we go 225 for eight and then we go, you know, 275 for five and then we go 315 for a triple. And, you know, we we really build it up. So he has multiple sets, which is part of his warm up. Um, but it blends right into the workout or, and, or depending on the day, we may be doing speed work. So it, it doesn't, you know, when people think about warm up, it doesn't need to be warm up starts, warm up ends, power starts, power speed ends. It's, it doesn't have to be blocks. It should almost be a continuum. Sure. No, I, I, I like it. And I, and I think again, to your point, it's, it's specific to what the goals of the day are. So if we talk speed and power, and I, and I think this is interesting because, you know, I've spent a lot of time working with an older population and not a lot of people that I really needed to do tons of speed or power work with. Whereas if I was working with uh, a younger population and certainly an athletic population, and, and I love what Coach Boyle's doing on this right now as far as emphasizing these flying 10s and flying 20s. And really, there's a little bit of speed work happening all the time. And so, and then we can contrast that with some power work, which I think people, and I coach talked about this on uh, social media here just, just recently. I think med ball work is something that um, is, is a low hanging fruit that can really help with, with a, turning a lot of speed and power work into usable speed and power. Uh, so some combination of, um, that that power work can be some sort of sprinting, some sort of uh, plyometric work, um, and that could be a whole other podcast that maybe we get Antonio Squilante back on to to chat with us about uh, that, um, and then some sort of med ball tosses or med ball bounces that that really focus it. So I think that's a it, it's low hanging fruit for that athletic population and for people that need that speed and power development. Yeah. And it's going to look different for every single client. Um, don't assume power is just, you know, kettlebells and barbells, right? Um, there's a lot of different ways to express power, especially if you're working with either the younger population, which don't have the uh, coordination and the, the the technical component of Olympic lifting uh, yet. So there's other ways to express power for them, but there's also great ways to express power for, for older individuals like kettlebell swings. So um, there's a couple different ways, but again, you know, the beauty of adding this at the beginning is, you know, the whole point of the, the movement prep is to get our body sort of prepared to perform. And if we're doing our power and or speed work at the beginning of our training session, remember a little goes a long way. So, you know, when it comes to power and or speed, um, you should never be huffing and puffing. Sure. Are you going to finish a set and have your heart rate elevate for, you know, a, a minute or so? Yes, but you're not redlining it and you're not going to be huffing and puffing and you're not going to be able to get to a point like if you can't have a conversation in between your bouts of speed work or your power work, then it's probably more biased towards conditioning and you need to potentially rework sets, reps, uh, rest periods, et cetera. So I think it's important to understand that because you should be really, really fresh. Like the warm up should get you ready for the power speed. And that should be like nitrous for your lifting, right? You should just be absolutely flying after that. You should feel like, wow, I'm ready to lift now. And that is the whole reason why you should incorporate it in that order, especially if power and speed are goals of yours. Cause you're not going to do that after doing a bunch of back squats or a bunch of deadlifts and pull-ups and farmers carries. Um, so, but now that we've sort of covered, you know, power speed, the next thing is, is, uh, 
is, is one of our favorite topics and that's just strength. It's just, uh, you know, just getting strong and doing the basics of, of strength training. And, uh, you know, guys, here's the thing, strength training, it, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, you know, uh, contrary to popular belief, I think everybody thinks they need this special, you know, sports specific program with this and that. And it's like, guys, we're all getting the same stuff, just served differently. And, uh, that's just a big part of it. Um, it's almost like an assembly line. And once you understand programming and how to design things, you understand that there's sort of templates to follow. And uh, it's really all the same stuff, but the art and science of coaching is where you get into it. Because if I say, hey, Brett, you know, do you program squats for your clients? You're going to say yes. But how many different types of squats are there, right? So there's just so many different types. So specificity is really, really important because you know, just saying we're going to do squats. Well, what is the implement? You know, uh, what are you using? Is it is it even appropriate? And how do you know if it's appropriate? Have you done it before? Well, guess what? If you've done the evaluation at the very, very beginning and you've looked at their patterns, you'll know that the squat is, you know, is an appropriate pattern for them, or maybe it's not an appropriate pattern. But at this point, this is where we hit the big rocks, the compound exercises. And, um, you know, Brett, why, why is it important for, for just about everybody, you know, with the exception, I would say of bodybuilders, um, why, why are compound movements so important for, for everybody who strength trains? It's how we express strength out in the world. Uh, there's very few isolated things that happen out in the world or out in athletics. Um, so hitting those big compound movements, uh, are the things that have the most carryover to everything else that we, we want to be doing. And that can include heavier single leg work. It can include um, asymmetrical loads and things that are are definitely designed to get us ready for other you know activities. So uh, hitting hitting the big the big movements. Um, if I can do one thing and get five, I don't need to go searching for the other four. I'm I'm going to go ahead and do the one thing that'll that'll get me the five. And so. Um, uh, Squat, bench, or overhead press, deadlift, um, some sort of unilateral and single leg work um, checks a lot of boxes. And uh, you know, for for those folks that don't tolerate load very well, split squats, um, rear foot elevated split squat, single leg deadlift, um, bridge floor press, um, unilateral or or symmetrical. You know, there's a we. It's a whole other conversation, but yeah, do, do the big movements. Um, strong is based on the individual. There's, you know, unless you're competing in powerlifting and you really want to find your one RMs and, and compete, you know, it's just good strength training over time and, uh, and the basics succeed. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think if there's one thing, uh, we really need to get across is, um, the idea of minimalistic programming. Um, and, you know, I think when it comes to the less is more approach, right. And, and, and if you look at a lot of the iron cardio stuff, I mean, like Brett, not for nothing, but iron cardio is not the most complicated programming algorithm, is it? Uh, correct. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's super simple, um, but not easy. And well, uh, the, you know, that's where the, the work comes in. And, and uh, while there's, so many programming there's so many variations of it that you can do on an ongoing basis but it's it's centered around some real simple effective compound um movements and the the programming is uh yeah it's simple 
Yeah. And, 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 and that sort of, you know, leads me to the discussion of, of, of using the appropriate load to facilitate an adaptation. And I think that's why understanding having a baseline of strength and, and, you know, a lot of the times in like strong first, we talk about finding a 10 RM or, you know, getting a starting point, because if I were to do an iron cardio training session with double six, double six kilos right now, it wouldn't do anything for me. I don't know if I would sweat right now. I could do 40 sets and be like, I did 40 sets of iron cardio, but with a weight that didn't do a damn thing for me. So, you know, one big mistake people make is when they, they decide to choose something that seems inherently simple, like an iron cardio, you need to understand that if you decide to go simple and less is more, you have to be dialed in with your effort and with your technique and your ability to work hard. Because if you decide that less is more, um, less will be less and you're not going to actually do anything with your time. So if you decide that you're going to go minimalistic, cool, love it, big fan, but whatever you're going in on with those minimalistic things, you better work really, really hard on, or you're not going to get the adaptation that you're looking for. And, and that is why for a lot of people early on volume is a much better way to start than heavy. Um, because heavy, true heavy is a skill. Lifting heavy is a skill. Creating intra-abdominal pressure is a skill. Wedging in the deadlift is a skill. Be, being able to get tight for a one-arm, one-leg push-up is a skill. So um, you're not going to be able to do that right, right from the get-go. You're simply not. So the other option is exposure, volume, and repetition, which, you know, is also simultaneously, if you look at some of the triggers of hypertrophy, which is time under tension, and you're looking at sets and reps and overall volume, um, you know, a lot of the recipes uh, or a lot of the information that's based off, uh, off of hypertrophy is, is time under tension and the volume that you choose. So the cool thing about starting people off with a little bit more volume in general is they get exposure, they get repetitions, they're going to get a little bit of muscular endurance, they're going to get a little bit of hypertrophy, but they're also just going to get acclimated to the movements. And hopefully a good coach is going to be coaching them throughout that process. So when it's time to uncork a heavy deadlift or a heavy single leg squat, they know how to get tight. They know about creating pressure. They understand the skill of strength. Wait, where, where are you right now? I know that was a layup. I just had to put that in when I was on my soapbox, but, but it's important because it's, it's a, uh, it's very different. So you have to know, you know, intent, you have to know what you're doing. And and that's a big, big part of it. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, understanding neurological, chemical and mechanical stresses and adaptations and, and being able to target what you're trying to accomplish uh, via those three main mechanisms. And, and those three main mechanisms actually are kind of consistent, whether we're talking about energy system development or strength or power. Um, uh, it, it, those, those are the three things that we're really tweaking kind of an, on an ongoing basis. So, um, and I'll just say like Fabio's and Pablo's reload or, you know, the classic five by five approach, which reload is the updated, you know, five by five approach with some really, really cool, uh, plan strong aspects to it. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated and you don't have to be strong tomorrow. Um, if I could go back to my younger self and give myself a gift, it would be a little more patience. Um, and so, but the strength block, strength block, super important. 
Um, and then we get to the energy system development or conditioning block. And that is a many splendored thing <laughs> that can be kettlebell swings, kettlebell snatches. That could be an air bike. That could be, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to go after this. And I, and I want to highlight a contrast here because the speed and power work we talked about that, that comes after the warm up, and you mentioned this, and I just want to highlight it again. That's not conditioning work. Uh, and here we want to talk about the difference between repeats and intervals, because what a lot of people do with speed and power work is they turn it into intervals. Yep. And what they should be doing is repeats. And that yep. means you can repeat the effort that you just did uh, with the same quality, with the same tempo, with the same cadence, with the same RPE. Um, it's not conditioning. Once we go conditioning, now intervals have a little more play. Uh, intervals and series can get involved. And now we are trying to push a little bit into some specific energy system adaptations. Um, and uh, Brent, um, it's Brent Walsh, uh, I think. Um, I'll have to look and make sure. He has a great talk on energy system development and the fact that, uh, you know, at a certain point, because the aerobic mechanisms de deploy over uh, a period of time in the beginning of a session, you know, quote, everything becomes aerobic at some point, but we can still do our intervals and still get this alactic plus aerobic up. Strong first methodologies and Pavel's new book coming up. Um, we can still get this alactic and aerobic uh, sort of thing happening uh, within this 10 to 15 minute block targeting some good energy system development, but different from doing speed and power work even yeah, though I might absolutely. be using a power exercise like the swing and the sandwich. All right. And now we're going to really screw you up guys. Um, because if you want if your goal is to do, um, you know, sprint repeats, that should be done pre-lift. Um, if your goal is to do sprint intervals, I would argue that that should be done post-lift. And now what is iron cardio, Brett? Where does all of this stuff fit to car? You know, what, where is the cardio and iron cardio, right? Because like we just told everybody we should have a power block. We should have a strength block and we should have a conditioning block. And then you have this, this iron cardio thing that you do, which kind of does everything, right? Like explain it, that. It, well, what, why does that cover all the books and why does that cover all the bases? It's, it's simply uni unicorn magic. It's uh, it, there's no scientific basis for it. Um, no, it's it is a combination of this alactic and aerobic uh, sort of mindset that we're doing. Um, and if you add the snatches and, and things like that to the iron cardio, there is a little bit of a power aspect in the, in there as well. But from a strength aspect, we're we're hitting these exercises. We're giving ourselves rest. Um, so we get these little stimulations of alactic uh, and strength work but then we're doing it consistently over a period of time. We get the aerobic mechanisms to deploy. We get a lot of peripheral adaptations. You know, we, we tend to get a little bit focused on what our heart rate is during a particular session, but there's peripheral adaptations of local muscular endurance and adaptations, capitalization, blood flow uh, that, that really provide a lot of uh, benefits that we would, we end up calling cardio or cardiovascular adaptations, but they're really peripheral uh, to the actual heart adaptations. So yeah, there's this mismatch of strength and conditioning that happens within the iron cardio protocol. Um, and, and having said that, I will still do separate swing or snatch sessions for more specific conditioning or power 
Uh, and, and there's the confusing thing. Cause when I'm, when I'm rocking out 56 kilo, two arm swings, I'm and maybe I'm doing one rep every 20 seconds. Uh, that is a high power output. Um, so it is power training, but now we're using the interval method and we're not using the repeat method. And so, uh, it's similar, but different. And if you're confused, I am too. Perfect. <laughs> Do more, but do less. No, no, no. Do more, but just, do less. Just that, but less. And then, um, you know, I, I think as we sort of get to the end of the training session and the end of the podcast, it's funny how that works. Um, you know, having a cool down is 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 really important. And I'm going to be honest, um, for the longest time, I never did a cool down. I never programmed a cool down. Um, I just never did. Uh, I'm <laughs> be the first one to admit that uh, that's something that I made a mistake on. And, uh, you know, for me, I would always wonder why, you know, I'd get done with my sessions and I'd bomb out. And then, uh, you know, I just keep go, 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 go. And all of a sudden I was like wondering why my heart was just going for the entire day. And, you know, I think, I think when we think about the cool down, right, we don't want to send someone to their car at max heart rate. That's just simply not smart. And, and, and obviously, you know, one of the things people don't understand from a physiological standpoint is when you really spike your heart rate, let's say you get it really, really high and you lay down on the floor, which is the inclination, right? That's what people want to do. The problem with that is, um, your heart has to work exponentially harder to move blood flow because your body is not moving around and walking and helping facilitate blood flow via locomotion and movement, right? So um, the worst thing you can do is, is spike your heart rate and then lay down because now your heart has to work even harder to try to pump blood. So, um, you know, when you do get to that point where you are absolutely, you know, redlining yourself, I want you to, you know, get down and sort of slowly cool down. And, and, and I would do that walking. I would just try to, you know, get to the point where you can incorporate a nasal breath here and there, right? Because you know you're going to be mouth breathing. Try to get to that point where you can incorporate a nice nasal breath here, maybe a nasal breath with an autonomic pause. And then eventually you can start to add more and more and more. And once you can get to that point where you're at, you know, uh, sort of a conversational pace or what we call in, you know, strong for us, the talk test, right? Once you're at that point where you can carry on a normal conversation, then in my opinion, if you want to go to the floor, and do some mobility work, you know, do whatever stretches that you feel are going to be beneficial to you. That's the best way to approach it. And, um, you know, since I've done that with my clients and even have taken the time to do that with myself, I've just felt a lot better and a lot less stiff. And just, um, it was something that, um, I didn't value as a younger coach. And as I've, uh, gotten older and, and had been training more older individuals, um, you know, spending the last five minutes just sort of, you know, slowing things down, getting their mind right. And honestly, for some people, maybe just laying down for one to two minutes and just doing breathing in silence is what they need to get on with the rest of the day if they've got a busy job. So, um, you know, the, the cool down is pretty darn important. 100% fast and loose drills uh, combined with some good recovery breathing leading to maybe stretching a couple of key areas. Um, I'm in the habit now of finishing my session, letting that physiological recovery happen. And then I go prone on elbows for two to two to three minutes just to let my back relax. And, uh, then I do a little, um, uh, a little stretch series, maybe go after my, uh, quads and hip flexors a little bit because I tend to get tight there because I sit on my butt too long. And, um, so yeah, but definitely, you know, adding the cool down in and cause you're going to, we're going to stress the body during training. 
we're going to create some tension, residual tension. And if I can dump that residual tension, restore full blood flow throughout the body, have that physiological recovery, I'm going to recover better before my next session. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's just something that, uh, it, take the extra time, right? Take the extra time and, uh, take a few minutes to just again, downregulate, um, you know, and then go from there. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about breathing quickly and, and there's obviously different types of breathing styles, but I would say like at the end of this, the training session, you know, doing a few things to downregulate the nervous system and diaphragmatic breathing, belly breathing, whatever you want to call it, a box breathing, it doesn't matter, but that's the point when that's the style of breathing, I think would be beneficial, right? There are other breathing styles to, you know, that'll do the opposite, right? That'll get you sort of up. Um, but at the same time, I think just focusing on breathing is really, really important. Um, and, and, and I think the breathing aspect just for, for people in general that have stressful lives and maybe have never even paid attention to their breath. Like if you can chip away at it and just educate them on the importance of breathing and, and how that impacts their stress levels and cortisol levels and, and, and anxiety and nervous system, I think is super, super important. So, but uh, guys, there you have it. I mean, it's it's kind of the anatomy of a training session. So we we start off with some sort of warm up, and you know, go into some speed, power, and uh, go into some strength, and then maybe some conditioning, energy system development, and finish with a cool down. Or you do some warm up, you do some iron cardio, call it a day. And uh, it would be cool winner winner if, chicken dinner. It would be cool if like if Brett came up in November at some point to skill of strength, and we ran uh, like an iron cardio like workshop for people. What do you I'm think? In. You, you, I'm in. Let's all do right. It. We should do that. And we are going to limit some spaces if we do that. Cause I, we don't want it to be too packed. If we, I, this is all hypothetical. Like if we decided you were going to come up and visit Boston for a weekend. So, um, well, we'll, we'll just keep on throwing it out there and see what happens. Some, something like November 19th from yeah, nine, I don't, nine to it, noon. It's a day. I don't even know like what day that. of the week is that? That could be a Tuesday. That's, that could be a Sunday. It could, could be a Sunday. Could be a Sunday. Could be, Who knows? Could be like a Sunday, like a late morning at Skill of Strength located in Chelmsford. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, just it might happen. Keep, it might. Keep... And uh, I'm in. I'm in though. If we do anywho, it, I'm in. If it so. happens, I I will let you know if it happens. Um, <laughs> anywho, friends, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we truly appreciate you listening to us ramble because that's pretty much uh, what this is turning into. Um, but. Like always, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, do us a huge favor and please leave us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you know any coaches uh, that would love to learn more about the anatomy of a training session, uh, you can go ahead and um, you know send them this podcast and uh, we will see you guys on the next episode. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're gonna ask you for a favor please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.